So I want you to imagine with me. I need you to imagine with me. These are gonna sound a little bit crazy, but I need you just to imagine. Imagine a world in 2020 where Hillary Clinton becomes the campaign manager for Donald Trump. Imagine a world where Adolf Hitler becomes the prime minister of Israel. Imagine a world where Richard Dawkins, an atheist, becomes the Pope. Imagine a world where on October 2001, Osama bin Laden calls President Bush and he says, hey, don't worry, I'm on your team now. Imagine a world where Bills fans become Patriot fans. Too soon? I mean, do these things actually happen? They're, they're, they're like polar opposites. But think about this. Let me ask you a question. When God was getting ready to select someone to spread the message of his son, the message that Jesus came and died and rose again to give us victory over his sin, who do you think he would choose? Many of us, maybe, maybe, maybe a politician, right? Someone with power and authority. Or maybe a celebrity or an athlete, someone we look up to, someone we, we want to be like. No. You see, when God, out of all the people in the world, when God chose someone to spread the message of Jesus, he chose a man who is actively pursuing and killing Christians. His name was Paul. And for the next eight weeks, we're going to look at his life. We're gonna spend time kind of figuring out who this man was, what God called him to do, and how he used him. So for the next eight weeks, we're gonna be in this series we're calling Paul, and we're gonna take a look at God's calling on this man's life and how God used him in incredible ways. Because even Paul said these words, he said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I bet and I believe that through this series, as we get to know Paul, as we learn about the Bible and, and what it has to say about this man's journey, I believe stories and circumstances that happened thousands of years ago in this man's life can change our life today. So if you got your Bibles, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we're going to begin the journey. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on page 890 in the Northridge Bible. I'd encourage you to turn there and get familiar with this passage because we're going to be in it the first two weeks of this series. And as you're making your way to Acts chapter 9, I want to welcome everybody to Northridge Church. Whether you're joining us from one of our campuses or you are engaging with us online, we're excited to have you. And I also want to just celebrate God. Man, last week was amazing. We saw 80 people take steps of obedience to get baptized, to go public with their faith. Yeah, can we celebrate God? Woo, it was awesome. And if you were one of those uh, people who made that choice, man, I want to just tell you how proud I am of you, for you, and I'm excited for what God has in store, and so continue to choose obedience as you walk with God. And so we're beginning this journey in, in the life of Paul, and, and there's a couple things that you need to know about this series. First and foremost is we've created, we've had some volunteers and some staff members team up with this series to provide you additional resources throughout the week. And so as many of your campus pastors and Dave just said, hey, you need to go to paulseries.com every day. We've got daily devotions. We've got extra resources that are going to expand your knowledge of who God is throughout the series and who this man Paul was. And so jump with us in the journey, paulseries.com. It's all right there for you. 
Another thing you need to know about this series is as we begin the journey, you're going to hear this morning two names, the name Saul and the name Paul. And just know that we're talking about the very same person. His story begins as Saul, and then later it turns into the man we know as Saul. And so as you hear both of those names, just understand that we're talking about the very same person. And so who is this man named Saul or Paul? In Acts chapter 22, he actually introduces himself to all of us. He says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicily. Should we try that again? Let's just skip it. But brought up into this city. I feel better about that. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. And so here we are introduced to Saul. We understand that he's a Jew. He's a Jewish person, and he trained under this man named Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was one of the premier teachers of the law in first century. And so what we know about Paul is that he was a scholar. He was a religious leader. He probably knew the Old Testament scriptures inside and out, had the Old Testament law memorized. And he says, I was zealous for God. I was passionate about God. And so here he is, this biblical scholar, this man who is passionate about God. And as we begin his story, what we're going to find out is he didn't just accidentally become the instrument God would use to spread the gospel. It didn't just happen by chance that that somehow Paul was the man God was going to use. No, God chose him and placed a call on his life. God prepared him for what he was getting ready to, to use him for. And that's the truth for all of us, is God has a plan for us, but before we get to that plan, God prepares us before he uses us. God uses seasons of preparation in our life where he molds us, he makes us, he he, he changes us so ultimately we can be used by him. We say it like this, a season of preparation precedes a season of usage. God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. And as we begin the life of Paul, this is what we're gonna see, is that God was preparing him He was molding him and making him. And I've seen that in my life, and I bet you've seen that in your life, where God used a season in your life to really teach you some lessons that you needed to learn. When I was 16 years old, God called me into ministry. And my life changed. The trajectory of my life completely changed. And as a 16-year-old boy, I heard that call to go into full-time ministry, and I always thought that I would just be a lead pastor to start the journey. I never felt like this super strong call to be a youth pastor. But out of you know, college and out of seminary, I, I knew that no church in their right mind would hire me as their lead pastor. And so God used eight years of my life as a youth pastor where he taught me lessons I needed to learn, where he stretched me and he molded me and he made me into the leader and the man I am today. Because God uses those seasons of our life that we don't like to walk through, that we don't like to be taught the lessons we need to learn, but ultimately to get us to where we need to go. And we are gonna see how God prepared Saul. It actually happens in a messy scene in the Bible. A dirty, ugly scene, probably a scene that Paul is not proud of. Because Paul, as a religious leader, his job was to protect the law, to protect against false teachers. And there was this man named Stephen. 
Stephen was a follower of Jesus. In fact, he loved Jesus so much, he was going around all of Jerusalem proclaiming the message of Jesus that he died and rose again and was the Savior and the Messiah. And all the religious people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin didn't like this man, Stephen. And so they took matters into their own hands. Acts chapter seven, it says this, at this they, that's the religious leaders, the Pharisees, covered their ears, Yelling at the top of their voices, they rushed at him. That's Stephen. They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses, here it is, laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, it says, and Saul approved of their killing him. And this is the first circumstance that we're actually introduced in the Bible to this man named Saul. And what is he doing? He's approving the murder of a Christian, of a man following Jesus. And it would be really easy at the beginning of, of Saul's story to look at Stephen and focus on Stephen. But I believe that God was using this time and these circumstances in Saul's life to soften his heart to the gospel. Because right here, maybe for the first time in his life, he got to watch a man willing to surrender his life put his life on the line for the sake of following Jesus. And I just believe God used this moment in Saul's life to soften his heart to ultimately what God was gonna call him to. And here, here's what I know about life is for many of you, you're in that season of preparation where God is preparing you and molding you. But for some of you, God's actually using you as the example to prepare somebody else. That was Stephen. And here's what we learn about Stephen is one thing we, can, we can't do as Christians is we can never underestimate or devalue the impact of living a godly life. We, we can never downplay or underestimate how much our lives saying yes to Jesus, obeying God, how much of an impact that can have. But here's one of the most frustrating things as a Christian, following Jesus, like doing the right thing over and over and over and over again. As many of us as Christians, I've felt this way. It's like, God, am I, am I really making a difference? Like, is my example, is it really having an impact on other people's lives? And we can grow tired and frustrated of doing the same thing, of sacrificing over and over and over for the sake of the gospel and never see the fruits of our labor. In fact, this is why I believe Galatians chapter six, verse nine was written. It says this, it says, let us not grow weary or become frustrated or tired or weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And we have to realize that our example is worth it. It's having an impact. Almost, almost every year, I get a random Facebook message or a, a random email. And you know what it is? It's usually some kid back in youth ministry that sends me this short but sweet message that says, Drew, you might not even remember me or know my name, but you made a difference in my life. Eight years later, just this week, just this week, I had a friend from high school send me a text message. Say, hey, I, I just want you to know, Drew, I'm exploring faith. I think Jesus is awesome and I've got questions and I trust you. Would you help me? 
And sometimes we don't realize the impact that we're having, but just by obeying God and living a godly life, but you can never underestimate, you can never devalue just saying yes to God over and over again. Because some of you today might feel like waking up at five in the morning and setting up a movie theater for church or setting up a a school for church isn't making any difference. But let me tell you right now, it's making a difference in someone's life. Some of you might feel like, hey, loving on kids or or our student ministry or or waking up early and and leading people in worship. What, What difference does it make? And I'm telling you, never underestimate how God is using you in your obedience to him to shape and to mold other people's lives. Because Stephen was that first visual, that first example that began to soften and prepare Saul's heart to ultimately to become the man we know as Paul. So the story continues, Acts chapter nine. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that was Christianity, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so Saul is continuing the journey. Just a short time later, he's headed to Damascus. He gets approval from the high priest to to take Christians and throw them in jail, to persecute them. And and you have to like ask the question, I wanna give you a full perspective of this story because I think it's easy for us to judge Paul. Remember, we're introduced to this man named Saul or Paul, and and we realize that it says he was passionate about God. He was a biblical scholar. And so how could a biblical scholar be throwing people who are trying to follow Jesus in prison? Those two things don't reconcile themselves. But what you have to understand is the context of this story. Paul, as a religious leader, as a Pharisee, One of the major job descriptions in that role was to protect the integrity, the doctrine, the theology of the Old Testament law. They would guard it at all costs. And a Pharisee thought the message of Jesus' resurrection was a false teaching. And so Paul, out of his passion for God to protect the scriptures, would have done anything necessary to get rid of these false teachers. That's why he's on the road to Damascus to get rid of Christians. Because he thinks it opposes the message of Judaism. In fact, this is what one scholar says. It says this, Paul, the persecutor, would have opposed Christianity because he saw it as a religion outside of Judaism, a competitor. The Christian movement would have been seen by him and others as subject yet to Jewish authority. And so Paul is here thinking he's acting on behalf of God and for God. His passion is driving him and he falls into a trap. And I think it's a trap that many of us fall into today. Because I think many of us today, we're passionate about God. We have zeal for God. And passion for God is an amazing thing. God can use your passion to do awesome things. But here's the truth. Passion for God without the proper understanding of God can be a very dangerous thing. Your passion and your knowledge need to balance each other out that you can have passion for God, but if you don't have the proper understanding of who God is and what he wants to do through you and in you, it can lead to dangerous places. What does this look like in our life today? Because this is the predicament Paul was in. He was passionate about protecting the Old Testament scriptures, but he was missing an important piece called the Messiah. He didn't believe in him. And what does this look like in our culture today? I would like to call it moralism or legalism. 
We have people who are passionate about following the commands of God, doing the right thing, checking the box, but the problem is they have the the passion to follow the rules, but they're missing out on the relationship with Jesus. Because God's not consider, he's not worried about the rules until you have a relationship with him, and out of your relationship with him, he leads you to obedience. And so many of us, we, we live this legalistic or moralistic way where we do all the right things, we act with good behavior, but we miss out on a relationship with, with God who saved us from our sins. For some of us today, it looks maybe you're a new believer this morning. You just said yes to Jesus like six months ago and you've been following him and man, when you're a new believer, there's something that just rises up in you and you just wanna tell everybody about Jesus, which is an amazing thing, you're passionate. Hey, I need people to understand what I just understood. But what can happen is out of that passion, you go and you tell people truths about Jesus that just aren't sometimes accurate. And it sets these expectations in people's mind of who God is when they're not accurate. It causes people to be disappointed by God. And this is why we have to learn in our journey with God is we have to have the proper balance of I'm passionate about God, but I also understand the truths about God. And here's what I found to be true is most new believers have the passion. They're lacking the knowledge. Most mature believers, they have the knowledge. They're lacking the passion. And what happens there? What, would, what could God do if he balanced us both out where as a mature believer, I reignited that passion in my life to tell people about Jesus and what if I was a new believer and I found a mature believer and I said teach me the knowledge of who God is and what if we work together to balance each other's out to see what God could actually do through us because passion for God without the proper understanding of God can be very dangerous and in fact Paul says it himself in Romans chapter 10 speaking about the Jews he says for I can testify about them he's talking about the Jewish people and ultimately himself that they are zealous for God, they're passionate for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to the righteousness of God. And this is where we find Saul in the story. He's passionate for God, but he's acting against God. And the story says this, it continues, it says, as he neared Damascus, And Damascus is a a key city in in this culture, in this context. It was a key commercial city. And Paul is a brilliant man. He's a strategic thinker. Here's what he's thinking. If I can get to Damascus, if I can go to Damascus and stop the spread of Christianity there, I can stop it pretty much everywhere else because this key commercial city, Damascus, was a place where goods would be spread throughout the entire countryside. It was about 150 miles outside of Jerusalem. And so Paul, as this strategic thinker, Paul, as this mastermind, says, hey, I'm going to go to Damascus. I'm going to get all the Christians in Damascus, and that will stop the spread of Christianity altogether. And little did he know that God was actually not going to stop the spread of Christianity, but he was actually going to use Saul to expand the spread of Christianity. Because along the way to Damascus, as he neared Damascus, it says, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, there's certain circumstances, certain stories in the Bible that I just wish I could just jump in and see what it looked like. This is one of those moments where I just wish I I could see with my own eyes this this time in, in Scripture. 
I have a picture in my head, but I just, I wonder what it really looked like. We know that there's this light suddenly from, from heaven. It flashes around Paul. He, he falls to the ground and, and, and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I always thought it was interesting what Jesus asked. Because Jesus didn't ask, hey, why are you persecuting my followers? Jesus didn't ask, hey, why are you persecuting my friends? No, Jesus personalizes the persecution. And this is what I love about Jesus, and this is what I love about my Savior, two things. The first one is Jesus gets your pain. When you suffer, there's a part of Jesus that suffers. When you deal with hardship in your life, I'm so grateful that I have a heavenly father, a savior who gets it, who's been there, who's suffered on his own because he's walked in those shoes and he's felt the sting of persecution. And I love that Jesus says, hey, why are you persecuting me? It hurts me when you persecute my family. I also love about my savior that he's my protector, that he's my provider. Because in the midst of of Saul chasing down Christians, Jesus interrupts him and he says, don't mess with my family. Hey, hey, hold on a second. That's one of my sons and that's one of my daughters and you will not mess with my family. Why are you persecuting me? And I don't know about you and I don't know what you're going through, but I'm really grateful in those moments in life. I have a dad upstairs that says, you won't mess with my son and you won't mess with my daughter, that he'll protect me and that he'll provide for me when I need it. That we have a, a heavenly father who does that and he says to Saul, he interrupts him and he says, why are you persecuting me? And I love the response Saul gives because it gives us an indicator of where he's at. Four words, he says, who are you, Lord? We could easily read past this, but don't miss this. Let's lean in here for a second. Saul says, who is this? Who's speaking to me? Now remember who Saul is. He's a biblical scholar. He's a religious leader, a Pharisee. In our culture today, we'd call him pastor. And this blows my mind. Here is a pastor who is claiming to follow God and yet he doesn't even know the voice of God. Who's speaking to me? And it's the God who he's actually claiming to follow. And how many of us today fall into that same reality? We claim the name of Jesus. We say we're walking with Jesus. We check all the right boxes. But if actually, if God were to speak to us today, we wouldn't even know the sound of his voice. You know, a question I always wonder is if Jesus, for some reason, were to walk the streets of Rochester, Let's just say for some reason Jesus decided to come to Rochester in our culture today and he walked the streets. Would I even recognize him? Because I think I have expectations of Jesus. I think I, I know who Jesus is, but I believe if Jesus walked our, our, our streets today, he'd hang out with people I wouldn't approve of and he'd go to places I wouldn't approve of. And my question is today, would I even recognize him? Would I say that's my savior or would I say that's a lunatic? Do you know who missed Jesus when he came to the world? It was the churchy people. It was the religious people. And here is a pastor, a religious leader, and God's voice is loud and clear in his life. And you know what he says? Who is this? How many of us are right there? God's speaking and we don't even know his voice. Jesus responds. 
He says this, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And I love Jesus' just short phrase because it crushed Paul. It crushed this man. He confronts him. He calls him out. He meets him right where he is because this, this word Jesus is the Greek word yeso. And it can be translated into Joshua or it can be translated into Messiah or Savior. And this would hit Paul right in his heart because the one thing he didn't believe about Jesus was that he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the power in this statement was this, that when Jesus said, I am Yeso, I am Jesus, it would have hit Paul because if that is actually Jesus speaking to me, then he's alive. And if Jesus is alive, then this movement I'm trying to stop is actually the correct movement. And if it's the correct movement and Jesus is the Messiah, I'm Saul and that means I gotta change my trajectory of life. I've gotta do a complete 180. I've gotta turn in the other direction. And don't miss this, this moment in history, Jesus is interrupting one man's life to change the course of the world. Jesus' interruption to Saul to become Paul, when Jesus did this, he was thinking about an interruption that he might have in your life and in my life because he chose to interrupt one man's life, changed the world. And we're gonna leave the story right there. We're gonna continue it next week right here in Acts chapter nine. But I think as we look at God's preparation in this man named Saul, The way he prepared him was he asked really pointed questions. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And this morning, I want to ask myself and everybody else who's listening three really pointed questions that I think we can pull out straight from the text. The first one is this, is are you the example someone needs today? Maybe you need to be the Stephen in someone's life because as we look at Paul being prepared to become the man wanted him to be. God, at the beginning of his life, used a man, an example named Stephen, to soften his heart. And maybe today you need to be that example for somebody else. Maybe God isn't right now preparing you. You're not in the season of preparation. But maybe today God wants to use you as the example as the example of what it looks like to live in a godly marriage, as an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus in a culture that's going the opposite direction, an example of what it looks like to date in a godly manner. Maybe God wants to use you today as an example for your coworker or your kids. You know, I think we saw this just recently, a powerful example of what it means to follow Jesus. You probably saw in our news the storyline of a cop shooting a man in his own house. And do you go through the justice department, the sentencing is done, and here's his brother named Brant. He just lost his brother to a woman who shot him. The sentencing was done in the midst of what might have felt like an unjust sentence. This man named Brant stands up and he steps down and he hugs his brother's murderer and he says, I forgive you. And I don't want the worst for you, I actually want the best for you. That is an example that can change people's lives and maybe today that's what God wants from you. 
is maybe God wants you to be a Stephen in a, in a Saul's or a Paul's life where God uses you to give somebody a glimpse of what it looks like, what it truly looks like to follow and surrender to Jesus. Are you the example that somebody needs today? Second question, are you in a season of preparation? No one likes to be in this season. Many of us, we wanna be used by God we have this dream of God using us in miraculous and powerful ways, but most of us, we don't wanna walk through the process to get to where God wants us to go. Where God refines us, where God molds us, and where God makes us, and he chisels us, and he gets rid of the bad, and he adds the good. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm a dreamer, I'm a visionary. I always have a dream or a destination of where I want God to take me. And one time a pastor told me, and it, it's always stuck in my heart because I'm always out here in fantasy land trying to get where I think God wants me to go. And he said these words to me. He says, Drew, you gotta learn to enjoy the drive to the dream. You gotta learn to enjoy the process in which God uses you and he molds you and he shapes you into the man you need to become so he can take you not where you wanna go but where he wants to take you. And you might not know this about me, but I hate road trips. Like I don't like to get in the car and drive anywhere. Like it's, it's terrible. Maybe it's because I have three kids under five. It's like torture. But maybe you can relate to me because I'm the type of person that likes to go from A to B as fast as I can. Like we ain't stopping unless the gas light comes on. I know you're hungry. You're not gonna starve. It, it's so bad that when we go on a trip longer than three hours, we put like a portable potty in my car so the kids, when they have to go potty, we don't have to stop, they can go. Y'all need to write down, pray for Drew's family on your connections card. Because I, I, I'm just, get me where I need to go. God, take me where you wanna use me. God's like, yeah, I, I know Drew, you put the priority on the destination, but I put a priority on the process. Because you got some things you got to learn in the drive so I can take you to the dream. And I think sometimes when, when it comes to walking with God, we got to learn in, in the drive to roll down the windows and feel the wind in our hair, to feel the bumps along the road, to twist and wind with the curves that God brings us. And we learn from those moments. We don't regret them. We don't wish them away. Some of you are in a season of preparation and God's trying to teach you something. He's trying to mold you into a woman and a man that God wants you to be and you're wishing it away. You're ignoring it. You wish you weren't there and God's like, hey, I'm gonna do something incredible through you if you just take this season seriously. To enjoy the drive to the dream. Are you in that season today? Make the most of it. Don't wish it away and learn the lesson God's trying to teach you. Third question. Do you need to be interrupted by God? This was the beginning of Saul's story. God met him right where he was. I'm glad we have a savior who knows what we're going through and is willing to interrupt us in the journey of life. And maybe today God's trying to get your attention. Maybe it's because you're like Saul and you're wrong about God. You've made some 
decisions about God that aren't accurate. You're wrong about God. You, you, you've, you've, you, you say he's this, but he's that. And you, you have misunderstandings about who God is, and the truth is, is he is love. He's your savior. He's your protector. He's your guide. He's your hope. And maybe today, for the first time, God's interrupting you. It's not an accident that you're here. He's interrupting you to say, I am the Messiah. I am your savior, the only one capable of removing your sin, the only one capable of forgiving you and giving you life. And maybe today for the first time you believe it and you surrender to it and you allow God to forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future, and you place your life in his hands. But maybe God's interrupting you because you're living a life full of bad choices, sinful choices, And God's along the road of your life and he's saying, you gotta stop because if you don't, you're gonna face and you're gonna pay more than you ever wanted to. And he's just meeting you in the road and saying, stop living this way. He's interrupting your sin. Or maybe today he's screaming out, hey, you've got the knowledge of me, but you've lost the passion. Where did it go? You became apathetic along the journey. And maybe he's interrupting you to to breathe passion into you. Or maybe today he's interrupting you because you've got the passion, but God's like, hey, you need to slow down and you need to get to know me. You need to spend time with me and you need to grow and understand who I am so I can use you in a powerful way. Does God need your attention this morning? And I just think it'd be wise if we just paused here and gave you a chance to think about that to give you a chance to to reflect on these three questions. Is your example worth following or imitating? What is God trying to teach you? Not tomorrow, but today. And does God need to get your attention? And so I would just challenge you in the next minute or two to think through these questions, to ponder them, to reflect in your heart what God is trying to do in you, not through you right now. So you take a moment, the questions will be on the screen, and you reflect and you think of what God's trying to teach you today.